The following program is recommended for ages 18 and over due to adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind the Scenes, a look at some of the sometimes steamy inside of Hollywood with your host, Hollywood executive and former Victoria's Secret model, Summer Helene. Our program features the gossip, the dish, and the stories of what's really going on behind your favorite movies, television shows, and celebrities from the people who are involved in the industry. Now, here is your host, Summer Helene. Do you have a desire to be famous? Do you want hordes of people screaming your name? Then ask your therapist if being a princess is right for you. Being a princess, where you can work from an array of palaces, cottages, and consulates, where all of your work is in service to others, and you can bring attention to the charities that you believe in. Warning, side effects may include extensive media intrusion, heavy public scrutiny into the lies you tell, loss of control of your public persona, and the inability to hide abusive or narcissistic tendencies from the world. If you have these or any other side effects or begin to question your life choices, please talk to your therapist because everyone else is sick of your bullshit. Being a princess, sometimes public service is just too much. G'day, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fiora. You know, I didn't. I thought she was not a princess. Don't you always say that she's not a princess? Oh, she's not a princess, but everyone seems to think she is. Technically, her name yeah. is uh, Princess Henry of Wales. Because she uh, married Harry's a- name is Henry. Yeah. Okay. She So she married a prince, but she's not a princess. It's kind of like... So Catherine is a princess because yeah. she is Catherine, Princess of Wales. Okay. Because she's been given the title of princess. It's been gifted to her. Because she was bestowed the title. Yeah. Right. And she didn't she didn't have that before Wales, did she? No. She didn't. Then she was the Duchess of Cambridge. Yeah. But now um she is Catherine Princess of Wales. Not Princess Catherine of Wales, it's Catherine Princess of Wales. Because she herself is not a princess. No, but she that's has the just title how the of... title goes. Oh, that's just how you it, say yep, it. Yep, it's even William, Prince of Wales. Okay, so it has no real deep meaning. That's just how they decided that's to do it way that... back when. No, that's just how the titles go. Yeah. At some point, they had to decide that. I guess, yeah. Yeah. You're not smiling. Smile. Make make sure you tell me I'm right. That's what you do. Always tell women to smile. They love that. <laughs> that's that not does what, not. That's that does not, not have. Meant. That does not have deeply sexist undertones. Well, speaking of people crying sexism and racism, Meghan Markle's been in the news I so, I did not so say recently. she was crying racism. I actually believe there was a lot of racism towards her. Listen, I don't... It doesn't da- stop her from being I, an asshole. I don't, I don't <laughs> doubt that. I'm just saying that there's a lot of it going on. There's a lot of people saying there isn't. So how about your perspective being a member of the, uh, I don't know, Society of Racists? What do you guys call yourselves over there? The Commonwealth? The Commonwealth. The Commonwealth. There you go. Originally the colonies, but yes, we we, we, we were part of the British colonial empire, and now we are part of the Commonwealth. And and now you're a group of racists, according to Meghan Markle. The okay, point hold is, on, I think hold she's on, hold everybody. on. I know. Hear me out here. Yeah. We are classist. Okay. Not racist. Okay. At least most of the time. Can you, can you explain what classist means to some viewers who maybe not know that? Sure. I am more judgmental of the fact that uh, Prince Harry married an, an American actress. Because you see her as less than someone else in Pretty much. Society. I mean, Catherine, uh, Princess of Wales, got a much harder time okay. than Meghan Markle did coming in. Okay. Uh, she got, she was, ho- I mean, physically trapped by people to get photos of her. She was tortured. And I'm really disappointed. I wish the Prince of Wales had stepped in more. I wish the uh, late Queen had stepped in more. Mm-hmm. I wish uh, the now Prince of Wales, uh, Prince William, had stepped in more to protect her. But... They handled it the way they handled it. Okay. In reality, um, in in Meghan Markle's case, the one thing I do agree with with uh, a Prince Harry with is I do think there should have been more protection for all of these women. What I do not agree with uh, is Meghan Markle's characterization of the colon- of the Commonwealth. Meaning how she... Of calling it, you know, the the colonial history, of course, exists there. Okay. It's horrific. I mean, Princess Michael of Kent wore a black and white brooch. That's what's going on earlier. That's what the titles remind me of, Princess Michael of Kent. But what is black and more? A black and more is a a brooch with black enamel that shows uh, an African person. Is it meant to throw back to, like, slaves or something like Mm -hmm. that? Okay, got it. The colonial times. The thing is... Um, the, the funny thing is 
what really annoys me with uh, Meghan Markle is there was real racism that she faced. Mm-hmm. And because she screamed about everything, yeah, the problems that were really there kind of got drowned out. And the fact that she lies so consistently, real problems got ignored. And that makes me angry at her, more angry at her than anything else. I was ecstatic when he married her. And I'm going to say this. I was ecstatic for all of the wrong reasons. Okay. I was really excited he was marrying a person of color. You, you sat with me while I watched the wedding. I was over the moon. Well, there's even um, people who have posted videos now like on TikTok or YouTube shorts, the short platform videos, where mm-hmm. they're screaming into the camera how Megan is changing the world. Megan's making a difference. We, yep. got, we have a mixed person, which I'm going to ask you about mixed in a second. Mm-hmm. We have a mixed person in the world family now. Like they, they, and, and these are all uh, African-Americans or co- people of color saying mm-hmm. this stuff. So I think it was a big deal. It was a huge um, for deal. For everyone. Especially because so much of the Commonwealth are people of color. It was wonderful to see a mixed person marrying into the family. Right. Um, but she's certainly not the first person of color to marry in. No, I mean, that's a good point to Princess make. Angela, she, she almost wore a recreation of Princess Angela's dress, hmm. um, which I found interesting. But there are a lot of people of color married in all over the world. Like I said, we tend to be classist. Yeah. Not racist. No, um, uh, except Australians. We're racist against <laughs> everyone equally. On that note, I know personally that when I saw this, this phrase, I took offense on her behalf because I think in America it's really, really – uh, uncommon, but also rude to say that someone is mixed. Like you could, you would not walk so up to somebody in the street and say, "Hey, you're mixed, aren't you?" Like that, you would not say okay. that in correlation so, so to their color. So we wouldn't call her black. Right. We would call her mixed. Right. That's. It's just that simple. And um, I can't help but wonder. Maybe she took offense to that because of the cultural difference. She took offense to a lot of things because of the cultural difference. The problem that she has is she lies like she breathes. Yeah. In her yeah. one interview, she's talking about Fergie teaching her to curtsy. In the next interview, she's making fun of the tradition and the country and the culture she married into, um, which I take offense to. Which do you think someone else who'd heard that story would be speaking up? Now, now, I know people probably are across social media, but maybe Fergie could go out and say, hey, no, I taught her no, to curtsy. No, 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 no. Fergie should not get involved. She's married to Prince Andrew and she's a walking scandal. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe someone who's not married to a potential sex offender. Oh, that's the least of Fergie's problems. Got it. Well, either way, <laughs> moving on then. The The reality of this whole situation is this. Okay. Meghan Markle seemed like a really good idea for everyone because we were in love with the idea of her. You I loved know. a mixed woman coming in. I lo- I personally loved that she was an actress. Yeah. Because she was someone from my world. Was it just kind of thing where we didn't really know who she was? Pretty much. Yeah, okay. We knew what the media had told us, and unfortunately, the media only knew what she'd said. Right. And when it comes down to it, when all of these stories were looked into, um, she was a lying shitbag. And Clearly. worse, worse than any of that, though, is the gaslighting. There is a part of me that feels very sorry for, for Prince Harry, and there's a part of me that's very angry at him. The part that feels sorry for him is the part where I, I know a lot of soldiers. There's a specific temperament that goes with a lot of soldiers, and he's used to following a queen. He's a soldier. He's used to following orders. Right. And in this case, he's just following a new queen. The and reality. I think also uh, you put it very clearly, put it right. Being coming up in the military, but more than that, coming up in the royal family, he always was taking someone else's direction no matter what. And so that's why I think it was so easy for him to fall into line with her. You can see the discomfort and the disquiet on his face, though, when she does lie. And he wants to say something. He wants to come out. He's angry. I think that you put it very well when she did that overdramatic curtsy in, on her um, on her documentary on Netflix. Everyone commented about that. You could look at his face, and it's in pain watching his wife do that. Cause Mock his country and grandmother. I think that, and it's also embarrassing, because it's probably the first time she ever did that. I'm sure they rehearsed what they were going to say, but he did not expect her to be so childish i think she pulled it out the last minute thought it'd be funny for the show the thing is she's something i learned and i learned this from alexis uh one of the smartest women i know got into a relationship with this really abusive dude and he convinced alexis that she was lucky to have him and everything she did became in service to this guy and alexis is an intelligent woman she's a capable woman 
And I'm seeing a very similar pattern with Prince Harry and Meghan. Even in the interview, he talked about, you know, how lucky a ginger was to find someone like her. Right. As if that somehow made him less than. So I think there's a part of him that genuinely believes he's lucky to have found her and he isn't good enough. Now, there is a history of his girlfriends leaving because of the media intrusion, but that's because historically he's gone from really kind of socialite girls that didn't want the media intrusion. Who was that previous girlfriend? Uh, Chelsea his? Davies. And she was very out no, and about? She, no, she she was a socialite. Yeah. The, the, no, she was not on she, – she didn't like the media intrusion. Her family no, no, was no, wealthy no. Socialite. She likes going out. She liked having that's fun. That's not what socialite means. What does socialite mean? Socialite means she moved in specific social circles – in the upper echelons. I thought social, I mean, you like going out and having fun. Nope, just when Paris Hilton does it. Points oh. to Paris Hilton, by the way. You <laughs> she have changed, now she's changed the meaning of a I, word. I love you, Paris Hilton. Um, no. So when it comes down to it, even in their documentary, they couldn't show the media following them. They showed pictures of it following Chelsea Davies. They showed pictures of it at a Harry Potter premiere. They showed pictures of it in this stupid documentary that is 99% horseshit of the media following other people, but not one instance of the media actually following them. You know, I didn't see that. It's interesting you had that perspective. So your perspective sounds like it's more like, okay, they're having to use other people to provide examples for the supposed um, harassment they're having to deal with because it actually happens to the people. But I see it as they're trying to draw a parallel, especially with anything to do with Diana. I think she's dedicated. Well, that was a different thing. I think she's dedicated to making the whole world think she is everything Diana was. The problem is, and this is what I feel really bad with, with Prince Harry. Hmm. Prince Harry only knew Diana from a child's perspective. None of us as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old know our parents. We only know our relationship with our parents and our parents' relationship with us. We don't know who they are. And so so seen... Harry's idea of Diana is built on a child's memories mm-hmm. and press. So when Harry takes Meghan Markle back to meet Diana's family, going, she's just like Diana, she's just like Diana, what that actually means is she acts like Diana did in interviews and she babies me. Yeah. And so when his family meets this woman, his father met her and said, He's nothing, she's nothing like Diana. Diana's sisters met her and said, she's nothing like Diana. The queen says she's nothing like Diana. Right. So all of these people are saying she's nothing like Diana. But is he? maybe he's stuck in his own mind saying, no, I knew my mother. You he can't is. tell me. Well, would you want to hear you don't know your mother? No, of course not. But that's but he's, not, ch- he's not understanding that, okay, they knew her as a person. I knew her as mom. That's And that's it. And so when it comes down to it, in Diana's case, now, I love, love Diana. She is one of my, like, hashtag media goals. But... She would call the press. She was involved with the press. She complained about press intrusion, but then got involved with them further. Um, she was an ongoing she, – she, she was a dichotomy. And she did a lot of good for a lot of people. And Meghan Markle is a lot of things, but she is not Diana. Right. Diana's vulnerability and naivety is what endeared her to people and her cunning – is what made her such a media staple. She was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant woman. She took where she was and made it work. The difference, the big difference, Diana was a monarchist that never would have said anything bad about the royal family except her ex-husband, who she did not like. When they got married, uh, she knew he was involved with Camilla Parker Bowles. She assumed he'd eventually fall in love with her. He didn't. She never forgave him. She had, you know, was it 17 affairs? He constantly slept with Camilla and they both cheated on each other and it was a train wreck. Yeah. Because they did the right thing. But even in the show, Harry said, you know, marrying the right woman, they're trying to marry the right woman. Well, Charles didn't marry the right woman. He married the right woman and it was a disaster. The wrong woman, Camilla, and he's happy. Yeah. Um, the queen married Prince Philip, who was considered completely unacceptable, and they were happy. And William married Catherine, who's a bloody commoner, and was vilified in the press and called a whore every which way from Sunday because everyone wanted to see him marry this, you know, beautiful, virginal English rose, not a chick that walked half naked on a runway. So it's a very different viewpoint. But 
I think she didn't know enough about the monarchy to know how to play it. She wanted to be Diana. She wanted people to chase her out. She wanted to be able to run back to L.A. The problem was people didn't do it the way she needed them to. Yeah. And the press didn't hound her the way she needed it to be hounded for this to work. If she'd have stayed longer in the monarchy, it would have worked. Now, there is my diatribe. We are going to go to break, guys, when we come back. We are going to be on with our very, very special guest. Jared, stop. I, I love I love my co-host is like pointing to our guest because we have a royal commentator <laughs> coming on. And he's like pointing, your fingers covering. <laughs> Guys, I'm Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, Bear Fiorda, and we'll be right back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene, and we're on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fjorda, and our very, very special guest, Edward Wang. He is a... Uh, you Royal keep putting your hand... We have, like, this intro list. I know he's a commentator. I actually watch him. I've watched him on YouTube. I'm a huge fan. We had him on before uh, during the Queen's funeral uh, procession, and we actually couldn't really connect, and there were a bunch of problems. And so I'm trying to read off this proper list of what we're supposed to read, and Bear's finger's in front of it while he's pointing it at it. <laughs> you read it. You read it. Edward Wang is a royal commentator, British Canadian Commonwealth, and world royal families on monarchies. I said that wrong, I'm sure, because I'm American, but hey, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I know we tried to have you on once before, and you were in line, so you got it cut off. Yes, it was a really bad reception walking. I, I think between the various towers on the South Bank, I was in queue for Queen Elizabeth lying in state um, the week before the state funeral. That had to have been hell on so many levels. It was a, you know, it was a memorable experience. I'm really glad that I did it, but I did the overnight shift, so it was it was quite cold walking along the banks of the Thames. That's insane. I would have done almost anything to be there. I don't know anything about the banks of the Thames. The Thames is a river through London. You know what? Just smile and not be pretty. Very Look good. Pretty. So for you, what got you into being a royal commentator? I'm very, very curious. You're a comedian. What made you decide well, on royal commentary? I was actually born in China, and, and China got rid of its monarchy in uh, 1912, actually, but I moved mm -hmm. to Canada when I was seven, and I just remember walking into my elementary school, and there was this portrait uh, of a young queen, and I didn't know who this person was. Oh, I knew that she was wearing a crown and wearing this beautiful dress and had a nice, fancy robe, and then throughout my years, my elementary, my elementary school teachers would tell me, well, this is Queen Elizabeth II. She's our head of state. She does a lot of good for the community. The royal family uh, inspires people. We have a non partisan head of state. So as I became more aware of the country that I had immigrated, immigrated to and became more aware of its political system and how its community operated, I became more attracted to this monarchical system and wanting to learn more about the royal family. And at that time, the late Diana, Princess of Wales, was quite popular as well. And there was very flashy, lots of photographs about her. So that attracted me as well. So 
I just did a lot of reading on my own, a lot of studying, a lot of self-studying on monarchical systems when I was in university. Uh, and, you know, I started being just talking more about the royal family. It helps to actually go to the those various events. So I remember, um, you know, I flew to London for the Prince William and Catherine's wedding. Uh, I was un- unable to go to Harry and Meghan's wedding, unfortunately, due to a family illness. Uh, I was there for the Jubilee most recently. And as well, I flew to London for Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Um, and just recently there in November for uh, the King's first Remembrance Sunday ceremony. So just being able to talk about it, it's something that's very important for me. I'm very passionate about the royal family, about the monarchy. Now, I'm, I'm going to say I believe that because you knew it was Diana, Princess of Wales. And one of my biggest <laughs> pet peeves is, well, yeah, <laughs> is everyone Princess, Princess, Princess Diana. Yeah, no, it's Diana, Princess of Wales. Like, it's very important to me. <laughs> Now, I'm curious because I heard this. I actually heard this first on um, Harry and Meghan's six-part documentary series. But I want to know, what makes someone a royal commentator? So there was a discussion about this. um, And I think, you know, one has to be very well-versed in the history of the monarchy as well as the current makeups of the monarchy. Um, I'm also a lawyer by trade, so I've gone to university, I've gone to law school, I practice law, uh, corporate finance law on a day-to-day basis. But I've always been able to study royal families and monarchies from my academic perspective as well. And given that the Canada is part of the is one of the Commonwealth realms, being a lawyer, I understand and fully appreciate the constitutional role of the monarchy. Yeah. So just having that experience and being able to speak from multiple aspects of the monarchy from a constitutional perspective and from a legal perspective, I think that allows me to call myself a royal commentator versus someone who would only follow the royal family for the flashiness or something like that. I follow them for the tiaras. I think he wins. (laughs) Did you take, uh, I asked, and then I'm follow up to that. Was it offensive to hear Harry's comments about basically what you take as your professional uh, career? Well, you know, I think he's the Duke of Sussex is entitled to his own viewpoints, and there have been periods of time when there are significant royal events, and suddenly you have a lot of people calling themselves royal commentators yeah. or royal correspondents on Twitter or on other social media. There are a core group of us who, you know, recognize each other, we chat with each other, and we communicate with each other through channels such as Twitter groups and as well as social media. So, you know, I think the core of people who have have been around a few rounds of royal events, know each other quite well. Um, you know, but uh, you know, I think you know there was some truth to the fact that uh, uh, Prince Harry's statement that sometimes they just come out left, right, and center, and you don't really know who you're talking about. And I think you know when you're speaking to someone, uh, especially when or when you're in the media and you're speaking to a, a, a royal commentator, uh, the important thing is to ask questions from different perspectives, and if they're able to answer. Uh, you know, those questions, whether from a legal or a constitutional or social, or even just about royal jewels, I follow them to the royal jewels, too. Uh, if they can talk <laughs> about the royal family from multiple aspects, I think then you have someone who's legitimate. That's I'm glad to learn. Thank you. I, I have a question. What did you think about Harry and Meghan's documentary? I don't know if it can be called a documentary. Well, you know, it's a docu-series for sure. And, you know, they got paid very handsomely for it, about estimated of $100 million U.S. uh, Mm -hmm. to do that docu-series, as well as their other commitments for Netflix. Um, I was bracing for a bit more... um, Salaciousness. yeah, well, I was bracing for a bit more of a more volleys of attack in the docu series. Uh, we, I think, we got a bit more in Prince Harry's uh, soon to be released autobiography. Uh, <laughs> but you know, watching the docu series, it, it, it got quite cringy for me and a bit boring, yeah. to be honest. I've heard so many of these complaints a year ago at uh, during the Oprah Winfrey uh, interview. Now there has been a bit more elaborations, but the themes are essentially the same. And what's really disappointing is over the last year, they had ample opportunity to establish themselves in the United States doing good charitable work. But instead, they spend all this time complaining about their lot. Now, let's be serious here. These are extremely privileged individuals, even prior to the $100 million payout. 
from Netflix. Prince Harry's worth an estimated 20 to 40 million pounds, the bulk of which he inherited from Diana, Princess of Wales, but as well as legacies from the late Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and his maternal grandfather, Lord Spencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, especially in a, situ- in a time when people are having uh, extreme difficulties putting food on their tables during a cost-of-living crisis, I think it's very out of touch for such privileged individuals to be complaining about their lot. I think she's created an insular bubble for him because he doesn't seem to understand what normal is, and he wouldn't growing up the way he did. But rather than her coming in and bringing a sense of normal, it's like she just took him, shook him up and went, okay, we're going to go do this and played on that, you know, the media killed your mother. A drunk driver killed his mother. Drunk driver also killed my son. Like, it's, it's, it's really fucked up. Excuse my language. I'd like to remind everyone, every time we use bad language, we give money to the Boys and Girls Club of America, the Humane Society of America, and free MMA. We swear because we care. It's called the Sean Pat- Patrick Flannerty rule. He used the F word 72 times in 30 minutes. So we had to start giving money to charity. Um, that's the stipulation. That's how <laughs> yeah. it was done. Well, I think he's definitely... The, the Duchess has definitely brought Prince Harry into a different type of lifestyle. And, you know, despite the royal family being extremely wealthy, they are not the ultra-rich. So, uh, you know, no. the, the late Queen Elizabeth ha- it was worth about 300 million pounds. She was not a billionaire. She did not live like a billionaire. They didn't have a private yacht anymore after um, the HMS... Um, Britannia was, HMYS Britannia was decommissioned. Um, you know, yes, they live in palaces, and yes, they live in castles, but Queen Elizabeth was known to have an electric heater, and using that constantly, and putting cereal in Tupperware. They did not live like billionaires, having access to private jets, and, and, and flying around and jetting around the world like that. Now, the Duchess, I think, you know, um, grew up aspiring for all of that. She tried to break into Hollywood. She was able to secure a role in a multi-series evening soap opera that was moderately watched by people in North America. Uh, I wouldn't call her an A-lister or a B-lister. Maybe a C-lister would something be very generous for that. But she's always aspired to have those types of privileges and benefits and flying privately around the world wearing very expensive jewelry. Now, she got some of that for her wedding. And yes, when one marries a prince of the blood and becomes a royal duchess with the style of royal highness, she will be allotted certain jewelries to wear on her wedding day and on official visits when they're representing the sovereign. But aside from that, they don't live like billionaires. And I think she was very surprised by the fact that, you know, initially they were only allotted a two-bedroom flat uh, called Nottingham Cottage on mm-hmm. Kensington Palace grounds. But, you know, later we do have to be aware that they were given a much bigger house. They were given Frogmore Cottage, and there was about £4.5 million spent on the restoration of that. Well, you have to also remember that um, Nottingham Cottage was Harry's home before he married Meghan Markle, and the renovations had started on Frogmore. So from them getting married and getting together... Frogmore was part of this. That was what they were given. The point of Nottingham Cottage is where they were staying, is where Harry was staying before they were together. But William and Catherine also lived there for a period. It's right. not like it yeah. was some junky little, you know, ho- hole in the wall. So it was interesting for me to hear it categorized that way. I think you're right, though, very, very much in that she wanted this idea of being a princess, not a life of public service. And I hats off to social climbers. I wish I was better at it. Uh, I think it's the Australian in me. We, we're, we're better at telling people to go fuck themselves than to uh, play that game the way you need to. But I would love to have that ability. I think she just climbed the wrong tree. She wanted a Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Instead, or, or at least I think she wanted Prince William. She did not realize yeah. Yeah. that you know she was marrying the second son, and or where she thought that the second son would have had a bigger role. But you know she obviously did not do her research. She should have invited Sarah Duchess of York for tea prior to making any commitments to Prince Harry. Well, she apparently did meet with the uh, Duchess of York uh, yes. at at Windsor Lodge. She taught her to curtsy which now has turned into a medieval times thing, apparently. <laughs> but that was, I think, oh, uh, sometime quite after she's already made up her mind. And I think that yeah. would be a issue. She did, not, she did not do her research. There are plenty of other European royals with a lot more money and a lot less duties that she could have climbed 
uh, sought after. Liechtenstein, a lot more money. Yes, in the billions. Mm-hmm. You think she just kind of like took a rent, pick, pick and choose a random straw she out of the hat? No, or? she picked the name she knew. The uh, English have brand recognition, okay, but they don't have the money. Speaking of brand recognition, I I understand that there's a level of needing to stay impartial, but I didn't quite understand the controversy behind her reaching out to companies for their for their like apparel or their items. Could you maybe explain that to me? Yeah, so whenever members of the royal family appear in public, uh, the uh, the working royals are given an allowance to purchase uh, the, the proper dress. After all, they are representing the head of state and the sovereign. They cannot show up in shabby wear. So uh, Queen Elizabeth used to fund the clothing allowances for um, her daughter, the Princess Anne, I'm sorry, the Princess Royal, the daughter-in-law, the Countess of Wessex, some, and some of her cousins, the Duchess of Gloucester, uh, the Duchess of Kent and Princess Alexandra. Um, being the son, uh, the sons of the heir apparent, the then Prince William and Prince Harry, their wives, their clothing budget would have been met by the then Prince of Wales, now King, out of the Duchy of Cornwall um, uh, annual revenues. So, um, you know, Prince Charles then, Prince Charles would have paid for the clothing allowances for both Catherine and Meghan, and it was disclosed every year in the annual reports, XML was spent on clothing, and that was visible. And I think uh, the issue is you cannot be seen as, uh, you know, bribing the royal family, and the royal family cannot be seen as, you know, earning money off of the largesse of any particular brands. Now, of course, the royal family is there to support British industry and British fashion. So oftentimes you will see them wear British brands. And yes, there are companies that receive the royal a royal warrant, which means that they provide certain services to the royal family. But those services and those products are always paid for in full. They do not receive freebies. They are not celebrities. They are not endorsers. Now, there are members of the royal family who are not working royals. For example, Princess Beatrice is not a working royal, but she is a princess of the blood, and she has the style of royal highness. When she attends the Wimbledon tennis matches, when she is representing a particular company, and there was one instance where she was uh, representing a company uh, as a brand ambassador, she was not seated in the royal box, and she was not allowed to be seated in the royal box. And Princess Beatrice knew this. On the days that she was going in her individual capacity, not representing any particular brand, she was permitted to sit in the royal box. And these are the same rules that also apply to Sarah Tindall, the daughter of the Princess Royal. Uh, and, and, and on the particular day where Princess Beatrice was a brand ambassador, um, the now Prince and Princess of Wales, William Catherine, were in the royal box. And it was very, uh, there was concerted effort to make sure that Princess Beatrice was set away from them outside of the royal box because the royal family cannot be seen as simply being brand ambassadors for pay. That makes sense. And they also can't play favorites among the brands. And if you've got your assistant calling up and saying, hey, will you give this to the the Duchess, how do you say no? It pushes brands into a corner as well. Mm. How do you say no when you've got royalty calling and asking for something? Ooh, it's okay. really a screwed up situation. I like the way you put it. By the way, I'm stealing that. And I'm telling people I said it. <laughs> and, you know, even when the royals go on overseas tours, they have to report the gifts that they receive. Mm-hmm. And these are these are tracked meticulously. It could be jewels from, you know, a Middle Eastern head of state, or it could be, you know, a teddy bear that one received during a walkabout. These are traced and these are recorded meticulously and are reported after the event. So there's a database on gifts that, have, that royals have received while on foreign tour, and you can read the list and it goes into the most minute of details for something that's worth very valuable to something that they that they receive from uh, on the walkabout so i think this is very important because the royal family is very keen on items that are received by members of the royal family on a foreign tour are given to them in their capacity as so- as representative of the sovereign and therefore that state property they can yeah. use them for the duration of their life but afterwards, it goes back into the state coffers. So, same, for example, when Diana same as, well, Wales, we, we have to on. we have to cut. We have to go to break. But okay, I want right to hear this because I love this. This is my favorite part with the return of the jewelry and stuff. I want. I love it. the tiaras. That's my favorite part. Guys, we'll be right back after this. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though, so this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes. G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the show. Behind the Scenes. Behind the show. Behind the show. Behind the show? In the back alley of the show. In the back alley of the show. We're doing drugs. Oh, no, 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 no way. Go to the corner, Ben. Go to the corner. Bad Ben. Bad Ben. We are not. G'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We're on with my co-host, the baddest bear who's not in the cage, who's actually talking about... uh, Hookers and blow. No, the monarchy, you fool. Well, actually, hookers and blow were, were mentioned in Prince Harry's book, so... And there is, of course, Prince Andrew. So I guess there is a correlation there, but let's not talk about that. And our very, very special guest, Edward Wang. We were talking about the monarchy. We are talking about all things royal. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the return of gifts. But I do want to jump into Prince Harry's book. It got early released in Spain, which means the whole book's now available. Yeah. Which totally screwed the sales. They're making the money they need to make on I, that. They're never making the money they need no. to make on that. Can I ask you, what do you think about Prince Harry's book being released early in Spain? Well, the tidbits that's been released, you know, the translations have been quite cringy. And I was quite mm-hmm. surprised that Prince Harry will go into such details. He was talking about the fact that, um, you know, after he got back from Antarctica, uh, he developed frostbite on his penis, and mm-hmm. he was attending Prince William and Catherine's wedding while having frostbite on his penis and, and not seeking medical attention and putting Elizabeth Arden cream to try to heal it and talking about how he lost his virginity to an older lady who wanted to, quote, take advantage of a young stallion and, mm-hmm. and taking cocaine at the age of 17 and, and you know, uh, killing 25 Taliban belligerents during his two Afghani tours. And, 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 uh, and I was just like, wow, he actually went there. But I guess, you know, when... One is given an advance of twenty million dollars. One has to put, you know, sensational information. But it was quite cringy given the amount of personal detail that went into this. And like, uh, like I did not care to read that him and Prince William were both circumcised. I, I, I don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> but I, I... <laughs> this is the information that was re- released in his autobiography. You know, like I, I read a lot about royal families. I like reading academic books. I like reading detailed, well research biographies, I don't really care that he's circumcised. It was I, quite cringy. <laughs> the only, I think the only thing I ever found interesting about sex in the royal family is one of the late kings had a, had a sex chair made. It's one of the coolest things you could, you've ever seen, and it's still done in silk. It's, it's really, really cool. I think that's the only thing that ever interested me, and it's in a museum. The sex the, chair. The sex chair. But I, I was really surprised more about the – the the no, not the number of kills but the fact that he talked about them because yeah. he's been a lot of things but he was a very good soldier and he should not have spoken about that for any reason he's now put himself on a list for the Taliban by doing that more than he and, already and was other individuals as well right the Taliban yeah. are going to this can put a number of operations especially if the if the UK has have assets in Afghanistan right now whether it's MI6 or other military mm-hmm. members this puts them at exposure because the Taliban even today made an announcement how they you know how they uh, protested against Prince Harry's statement and how these belligerents were all human beings as well so they're angry now uh, and you're actually uh, you know one talks about safety for his family and for his children 
um, but he's putting targets on them. Uh, you know, this was a uh, terrorist group, but now a terrorist group that has taken over the administration of a country, and, uh, and so they have resources available to them. So this was extremely, extremely inappropriate and not safe. And I think the head, of the former head of the British Armed Forces, one of the generals, made a statement about this. This is highly unusual, highly irregular, and you know, put a lot of Brit- uh, are putting a lot of British lives at stake. Well, it's highly inappropriate. Soldiers are taught and told not to talk about that. I know they do talk about it amongst themselves if you get around them, but this isn't something to put out to the public. This puts not just him, but his uh, battle buddies in danger very, very much. And it, this is and like a glorified flex on his this part. This is a glorified... Well, it's it's he's trying to use it like a flex, but the reality is I understand what he means by chess pieces. I understood where he's coming from. But you're, you now have a country that's been taken over by the Taliban that's full of American military equipment that they know how to use uh, that, that's now got British soldiers in the crosshairs. Nothing good can come of this. I, I, that, that, I think that I found more appalling than the, the you know, the sex and circumcision and just put out a giant sign of his face that reads in Afghani, he does not represent us or something to that effect. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine what his ghostwriter was thinking when given all this information. But at the same, like, I think, you know, he was, he felt compelled to produce. He was given a $20 million advance. And one has to pay for one's lifestyle somehow, right? They have significant expenditure in California. Um, you know, they paid off the, uh, they paid off the amounts that the British taxpayers pay to renovate and restore a Frogmore cottage. Um, they bought their mansion in Montecito. They're paying for 24-7 security. That's not cheap. And, and they have to keep on earning the dollars to maintain the lifestyle that the Duchess aspires for. I agree with that. I'm, I'm appalled. I don't think Prince Harry would have behaved this way if not for Meghan Markle. I would like to say, on behalf of the entertainment industry, I'm really sorry to the Commonwealth. I promise we're not all assholes. Um, we gave him Meghan Markle. We gave him Meghan Markle. Yeah, yeah that's, like a that's disease. My bad. You gave him <laughs> like, like an STD. It's it's yeah, but she's uh, for you as a royal commentator watching the amount of untruths. Is that what we're calling lies now? Or her her well, untruths? Well, we have to. Uh, we like this is his side of the story. I wouldn't say that he's lying. We, oh, we not don't him, know. Her. Okay, so so we don't know what the absolute truth is. At least in the books, we know that that's his version of the stories. We're not going to hear from the royal household. They are not going to dignify this book with a response. So you know, what is the absolute truth? It's going to be somewhere in the middle. But I think even within uh, the book, we can learn that there are a number of inconsistencies based on what has been revealed in the book. Versus what they reviewed even just a few weeks ago in the docu series, yeah. and what they reviewed uh, revealed a year ago in the Oprah interview, and I think they revealed in this book that yes, they did go around during Princess Eugenie's wedding, informing members of the royal family that they're having a child, which I thought was a bit inappropriate. Like you don't seal a bride's thunder, um, but. And apparently, all the members of the royal family were so excited. They were like, oh, that's excellent news. We're so happy for you. This is, this is excellent news. But I was under the impression that members of the royal family were racist and were questioning the color of the child. So there's some obvious inconsistency here you know, based on what they're revealing in this book and based on what they said in the past. So, uh, you know, I think we can, you know, take, you know, Take it all with a grain of salt as to you know how truthful these statements are, but it's it's very visible the amount of inconsistencies. Uh, you put it so politely. Uh, I, I'm I, again. It goes. I think it goes back to the Australian. So you're from Canada. You're really polite about it. I'm Australian. Very, very professional. I'm like she's a lion tramp. <laughs> like you're you're so polite. I like you. Uh, I will say though something that really catches me is. Meghan Markle did receive a lot of racism towards her, but she's also lying about receiving some she didn't, which takes away from people focusing on the real real problems. 
in the way she was treated, in the way things were handled with her. But she, while it is no excuse to say she had it better than pretty much every other royal woman that went before her, because she she did, um, the way the women are handled and the way the media deals with these women is appalling. Do you think her behavior and what's going on in her reaction to it has changed the way the media is going to interact with, say, Prince George's future partner? So I would just first start, race, there's no place for racism in society. It's absolutely abhorrent. I, I, I was born in China. I am ethnically Chinese, and especially during the recent corona a virus pandemic, there was a lot of anti-Asian racism, and I and I suffered yeah. some of them as well. So, so that's uh, you know, the Duchess should not have been uh, should not have been faced with those, uh, you know, uh, media reports from a racial perspective or with racial undertones. Agreed. But but even that, like you know, uh, and I'm a lawyer, and we we go by consistency, we go by evidence, and it was just interesting to me that she would make statements such as, I've never experienced racism until I moved to the United Kingdom, uh, or I've never felt black until I moved to, until I started, I never really felt like a black woman was something she said. And yet in other reports, uh, she would say, yes, I did uh, receive racism, or I did see, uh, hear someone call my mother with the N word, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a lot of these inconsistencies between the stories. But regardless, I think the issue is when she's when she's being when she's adding fuel to the fire, it removes a lot of legitimacy when there are other people who are suffering from racism or who are being met with these volleys of racial attacks, and you know. Being a person of a of a visible minority and ethnic minority, the last thing I would do is want to want other people from similar backgrounds to ever face racism. And I think you know the thing is we need to actively work in a in a in a collaborative manner with all aspects of society to teach people that racism is unacceptable. But when one does things. Uh, with the media, coming up with, you know, statements that are inconsistent with each other, making accusations or making statements of, you know, when they, uh, against certain aspects of the media that might not be 100% legitimate, that detracts from this, you know, this movement to counter racism in modern society. So, you know, that was my concern. I, you know, I felt, I, I, I did feel significantly for her. You know, some of the, you know, the, the newspaper article where they showed her holding a baby with a monkey face, that was so... Oh, my God, that was horrifying. That was horrifying. Uh-huh. And I felt so bad for her. And, you know, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, uh, it, it's really, it's a really tough position to be in. She did not do herself any favors. But at the same time, I think people would say, well, why should she be doing anyone any favors? She's the one who's suffering from these racial attacks. But, you know, it, it's a, it's a really tough position. I'm just sort of rambling on now. But, you know, I just feel like she did not. Do herself any and do herself any favor in in this respect, and I think making enemies of powerful people in media, it, it's not the right thing to do, and is not making it easier for future generations. Now, speaking about what the media might do for Prince George's future um, spouse, I think there's been a lot of lessons learned, and I think people are going to be very weary of the media putting out sensational stories about future royal spouses. But, you know, if we're using Prince um, George as an example, it was not that long ago, I think two or two and a half years ago, uh, that there was a cartoon made about Prince George mocking him. There were stories, uh, you know, at that time, George was a six, seven-year-old child. He's only nine years old now. Uh, there were, there's still an Instagram account from Gary Janetti who uh, makes funny posts pretending that Prince George is some sassy young prince um, coming out comments. And, and I think, you know, uh, and, and people laugh at that still. So I, I, I don't know where we're going to go as a society. I really hope that in 10, 15 years' time when Prince George seeks out a spouse that, you know, we as a society would not be buying up all, all of these sensational stories. And in turn, I'm hoping that the media will be able to change its 
stance and changes practices. I agree with you very, very much there. I'm hoping that is something that changes with time. I don't know if it will. There's always money in it. And unfortunately, I think a lack of understanding from the palace's part on how media operates, and I expected Meghan Markle to know better, but she didn't. She didn't know how to operate with the media. Um, I, I expected them to know better, and they're learning too, and I think we there, there is a learning curve there, but I would like to see more protection for the young children. We have about three minutes left of the show. Tell everyone where they can find you on social media. I am at, at Royalty and Law. Um, which is my Twitter account, and you can follow my Twitter account for my royal updates. And I do carry some, um, you know, videos that I post on my Instagram as well, which is EdWangTDT. Now, if there is anything you want to say to everyone out there, we have about two minutes left. What do you want to say to everyone out there? Well, I, I would just say that the royal family is an institution that's, that survived for over a thousand years. So we may see personalities come and go but it's the institution that people look to and look towards for guidance, for example. And I think Queen Elizabeth was aware of this. Yes, yeah. she was personally popular, but she realized it was not about her. She was popular. She was respected because of how she carried out her duties. I wish that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex understood this instead of thinking that it was about them personally. It is not. There are personalities that will come and go, but it is this institution that survived for a thousand years. I think I think uh, the monarchy just needs to stop fishing in America. So far, we got the Nazi Wallace Simpson and the asshole Meghan Markle. I'm just saying, stop fishing in America. Um, I, I agree with all of that. I think duty is an underutilized word. Absolutely, I, really do. I think it is an underutilized word. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Bear, is there anything you want to say to everyone there? No, I think you guys summed it up quite well. I have questions that I that I, we ran out of time for, so we either need. <laughs> I to, see your list of questions. We either need. Can we get you on again? <laughs> so, I was going to say, uh, Voice America. We need longer time, or um, definitely want to have you on again, so we can, in my mind, finish up because we, we were <laughs> we not finish done. up. We're I was interested. I like the royal stuff. Guys, make sure you are following Edward Huang. And thank you very, very, very much for being on the show, sir. Thank you to all our listeners out there. No matter your opinion, good or bad, about Meghan Markle, the royal family, write on in. Tell me about it. Unless it's about Queen Elizabeth and it's negative, then I don't want to hear it, okay? Let's remember, I am a royalist here. I'm a monarchist. Uh, thank you guys very, very much for joining us. I'm Summer Helene. This was Behind the Scenes. Make sure you're following us on TuneIn BTS. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thanks for checking out the show. Behind the scenes can be heard live on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to join Summer Helene for more Scoop next week. <laughs>